0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. My name is Lena Ebujemura and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called The Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and Uh, One of the most popular teachings that I've done, it uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith, no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that we'll cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. So we're in Nehemiah. This is uh, lesson 19, Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, The title is Unshaken. Uh, Remember, the big title is Strong in Faith No Matter What, but we want to be unshaken when my dreams feel too big now I'm not just talking about dreams where you put your head on the pillow and you dream most of the time I can't remember my dreams honestly I try to sometimes some are more vivid than others and I may wake up in the morning and be like oh I can't believe what I dreamed and and and, and I'm not a big dreamer I sleep like a rock but once in a while I remember those dreams but the dreams that we want to talk about are our dreams that God puts in our hearts their desires that are deep and they have to do with our calling and and they have to do with why God has put us here on this earth, I really believe with all my heart that God teaches in his word that he's created us for a reason. And the first reason is that we come into relationship with him, that we experience the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the number one purpose of our life is to come to know him. And so if you're watching and you don't know Jesus, that is the purpose of your life. God is wooing you to himself. And he does it in so many ways. He does it through people. He does it through this very Bible study. He does it through his word, Christian radio. There's so many creative ways through nature. God, has throughout the centuries wooed people to himself, by the magnitude of his love. And there are moments in life where he gets your attention and you see that. But as soon as you become accepting of him and you receive him into your heart and, and, and you have new life and new birth in him, God then uh, gets you on this on this path where you're living out a life that glorifies him. So the entire Christian life, the purpose of it, of course, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, just to kind of back up a little bit on that. And mind you, in the new year, I'm going to be doing a series talking about some of the basics of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live the Christian life. So it's going to be really a very good basic year for us 2021. But Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, we're reminded that we are his workmanship God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a plan for your life right now. You're watching. You might feel insignificant. You might feel like, man, I'm not in ministry. I'm not sure why, you know, what maybe, maybe you don't think your job is important. Maybe right now you're in a season, you're a stay at home mom. And, and maybe you just feel like, like it doesn't really matter in the big picture. I know that you know that it matters because you're raising up the next generation, but there are moments, look, I'm a doctor and I spent half my, is kind of going. What am I doing? This all seems like a waste of time. And 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 the lie that we can succumb to is the lie that what we're doing doesn't matter eternally. Yet God has preordained. He's put us in this season. In this time, in our places of work, in our places of worship, in our places of family, for a reason, He's known ahead of time what gifts He's given us, how we would be, as, how we would interact with people around us, so that He would fulfill His will for our lives and use us to build His kingdom. That's how God works. And so you might again be listening and going, "Man, I don't even know what my gifts are." We're gonna do this next year, 2021. We're gonna study the gifts of the Spirit, and we're gonna look at sort of how God gifts us and how He wants to use us to equip the church. And and so here in the story of Nehemiah, it's so fascinating because this is not a man who is a pastor. He's not a prophet. In fact, Nehemiah is a is a cup bearer. He's like uh, one of those butler guys, you know, who who basically offers drink to the king and he has this unusual job that puts him shoulder to shoulder with the king who is ruling the world at that time. King, um, uh, his name is uh, Artaxerxes and he's a Persian king. And the timing of this, so it was thought that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were written around, they were actually originally thought to be one book. Now they're split and there's Ezra and then there's Nehemiah. And Ezra is a story of of Ezra, the prophet, who went back to Jerusalem. This is after the exile of the Israelites. So remember that we have been looking at the kings, we looked at David, and and, and then we went into sort of the, the, the uh, after David, we spent a little time, I think in the last couple of weeks, looking at some of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, and talked about the trend of the king, some good, some bad. And, and there was a period predicted, we skipped that, because we're coming, we're making our way to Nehemiah, but we sort of skipped this season where God would, would, Prophesy through the prophets; they would prophesy about God that there would come a time where where the people of Israel would be sent as exiles into Babylon, and this is the famous verse Jeremiah twenty nine. You know where it says, "I know the plans I have for you; plans to give you hope in the future." And at the beginning of that verse, and a lot of Christians nowadays go, "Man, we use that verse out of context because the context of that verse was that the people of Israel were now exiles, and as they were exiles, and this was, by the way, a, a, a form of judgment of God, and and because the people of Israel were not a. Uh, to him. So part of that judgment is that for 70 years, they were sent out in exile. They were living under the rule of the Persians, but God had instructed him in Jeremiah 29 to, to build houses and to dwell in the land and to be you know people of, of fruitfulness in the land, and so sometimes our you know you might be in a place where maybe you didn 't intend to be, but God wants you to flourish in that place and that 's sort of the story of the people of Israel, but years later um, now Ezra goes back, God leads the king of Persia, not even a godly king, he was a king of, of, of the enemy, really, but God leads that king to allow the people of Israel to go back into the land of promised Jerusalem, of course they want to rebuild the. Jeru- The wall around Jerusalem. And so in Ezra, they start that work. And this is about like time-wise, Ezra is 458 BC before Christ. This is, remember that between the old and the new Testament, there's 400 years. So this is, you know, after Ezra and Nehemiah, there's very little that happens in the old Testament before you hit that 400 years of silence until the new Testament. Now we're going to be, we're making our way through. We're not going to jump to the new Testament after this teaching. We're going to make our way through. Um, I think we go next week to, um, job and so we're going to sort of follow you know the way the Bible's written through some of the old testament road until we make it to the new testament a little bit later in 2020 but for now uh, i just want you to kind of hang on to this idea that ezra is in 458 bc and so he is um uh, literally he's got just a few years before there's 400 years of silence until the new testament so this is chronologically happening at the end of the old testament if you want to think of it that way and so Nehemiah comes about, I don't know, 15 years, something like that after Ezra. So 458 is Ezra, and then Nehemiah is written around 445 BC. So that's only 13 years later, right? So there's a gap of 13 years, and you might be like, why are you going through all this? It's relevant, because if you know where you are in scripture, it makes more sense to you. Sometimes you pick up a book and you read it, and you go, I don't understand how this fits into the narrative. Well, you need to know these things so that when you study it, it all makes sense. And then you see even more amazingly, God's faithfulness and, and, and the magnitude of what we're going to see here in a minute, the dream that God gives Nehemiah, because we're talking about dreams. And so, um, so here's Nehemiah, and so he is uh, basically about 13 years after Ezra. So Ezra had taken back a group of people into uh, in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, and they fa- they did not succeed to rebuild it. In fact, there was a bit of a revival, a spike of revival that happens in Ezra's day, and then sort of a flat line, you know, sort of psh, like what you thought was going to be something amazing and then nothing. And now Nehemiah um, is where we're reading is in the- chapter one. This is where we're going to pick up on Nehemiah 13 years after Ezra goes back to so we hear Nehemiah's story. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. This is Nehemiah chapter one. Uh, he says this. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, and that is about November, December of the year, in the twelfth, into twentieth year. As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me. The remnant there in the, province who, in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah is, we find out in a bit, he's working in the court of the king. He's serving the king his drink. So he's kind of got a place of prominence. Again, he's it, it, rubbing shoulders with the king, even though he's a servant, he's still, and you'll see in a minute when we get into the story, he's on really good terms with the king. And he's actually quite favored by the king, his life and testimony above reproach, because you'll see how the story plays out in a minute. And, 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 and yet he's got, he's, he knows who he is. This is a man who um, is of the people of Israel. And even though he lives in Persia and is uh, now, you know, has a life that is stable and maybe very, you know, making a good living and, and enjoying the fruits of his labor, Yet his heart yearns for home and he asks and he finds out some horrible news that his home in Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And you're gonna see that though Nehemiah is a layperson, he's not a priest, he's not a prophet, he's a layperson, he has a regular job, Uh, yet he is very aware of who God is and what God's plan is. And you're going to see how God uses this man. Why am I telling you this? Because you might see yourself as, well, you're not a pastor, you're not a leader, you're not a Bible teacher. What can God do in your life? Well, watch this. So here's Nehemiah's response in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. He felt this burden so heavily have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man, he meant, now he says, now here it is, now I was cupbearer to the king. This guy was a butler. And he just prayed a prayer that shook the earth and the heavens and touch the heart of God. And you're going to see why. Let me read you a little more before I stop. So chapter two, we go on in the month of Nisan. Now this is about spring of the year. So so remember he heard the news about November, December, about six months or so have passed. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so he prays for a good bit of time, he's praying, the burden is brewing in his heart, God is developing a dream, we still haven't heard to this minute what his plan is, we just see a man who has been moved by a burden, and his burden is so heavy that he takes it to God, he doesn't have any place else to take it, but God is birthing a dream in the heart of Nehemiah, And you're going to see how it comes upon him and how this dream takes shape. Because I think so often when God puts dreams in our souls and in our hearts, he does it in such surprising ways. You wake up one day and you go, here's what I believe God wants me to do. And it all comes together, but it's built on years of prayer and often years of sitting over this burden. In fact, I wrote this down. God-given dreams are often born out of God-driven burdens, God puts burdens on your hearts. A lot of people will say that, that if you want to know what your dreams are, if you want to know what your what your calling is, look where your bur- look where you're feeling overwhelmed and burdened, the things that move you, the, the things that move you to tears in your life. Is there, is there like people sometimes, they just can't get off their mind, the, 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 you know, ho- homeless people, like you just can't. This, maybe the refugees, you know, what is it? Maybe it's the racial issue and God has put a burden on your heart and you just can't, you just need to find a solution to it. Usually out of those burdens that God stirs in your heart, he'll create a dream. And you might be like, well, I don't even know how, well, what? Well, all you see so far is Nehemiah just praying and saying, God, there's a problem, and we know who you are. Somehow fix this problem and maybe use me in the process. So now you advance a few months. And so in the month of Nisan, again, uh, he says uh, that in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this is Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now here, get this testimony. This is so important. It says, now I had not been sad in his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a testimony. I mean, that is a man who had never been sad. In fact, so much so, he's not just bragging about his stability. The king says to him in verse two, why is your face sad? seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So even this, the king notices that he's sad because he's so used to seeing him happy. And, and I think this is such a powerful testimony. Sometimes we think we've got to hold a sign that says Jesus saves, or, or we've got to hold you know, some kind of necklace that, that gives the gospel message. And while all these things have their place, sometimes the strongest testimony we can offer to people is a cheerful countenance. And 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 it doesn't mean that you don't feel a burden. It just means that you're aware of a God who is in control of that burden. And so Nehemiah, we know, has had a burden, and and then he he now has this. So, this is an exception to the rule. So though he's sad, he's built a lifetime with this king who has known him to be steadfast and joyful. So that now the king isn't so much perturbed. Back in that day, if you were unhappy in the presence of the king, he could kill you. And instead, the king is so tender towards Nehemiah, which is a God thing when you think about it, that there's this person from Israel who is serving in the king's court. He's supposed to be you know, a foreigner in the land. They don't believe in the same God. And now he's sad, and rather than punish him, the king asks him, what can I do to help you? And so here uh, is where we're going to pick up the reading. It says, um, the king said, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? There is nothing but sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah's response, I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king, why was he afraid? Because he knew that he could have been killed in that moment. But he says to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? It's like he's speaking out of the overflow of his heart. It says then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Tell me that isn't a miracle. And, and so, so, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Here's Nehemiah who's been praying for this issue for months and he still doesn't have an answer. And so now the king says to him, what can I do? And he's like, SOS, like reminds me of med school. Like I have a test and in the last second, you're like, God, I I need to pass this test. Or I'm like, you know, it's like the last minute, God, I don't know what I've studied so far, but help me get an A, right? This is how I survived med school. You almost get that feeling with Nehemiah. And so he says, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, he prayed for favor, I'm sure. I'm sure he prayed for peace. And then he, he says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, That you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This is a cupbearer. He's a butler. Talk about, we're talking about God-given dreams tonight. And you're talking about a butler who God puts in his heart, this burden that turns into a dream, and as his dream is to see Jerusalem rebuilt. It's to see the walls back up and the city back to the place where it used to be, to a place of, of health, to a place of revival. And what Nehemiah may not have predicted but by now it's clear, God wants him to be the instrument to bring that city back to life. And so he does not shy away from that dream. In fact, my first point here in today's outline as we now make some applications. When God gives you a dream, it's never too big for him to accomplish. Listen, this dream was huge. This guy literally has the audacity to ask the king. He says to him, I want to go and rebuild the city. He doesn't say, I want to hire an engineer to rebuild the city. He doesn't say, you know what? I've just been so burdened. If you just like give me a little, you know, time off. I want to pray about what I could do. There's no wishy washing this. He steps up to the plate and his dream has now been simmering for months. And he just jumps into what God has called him to. And he doesn't have all the details and he doesn't have all the answers. But what he has is a faith in a God who has promised to deliver his people and to forgive them if they would return. And so he steps out in faith and he lays it all on the line. Of course, you know, the story, if you've read it, the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when, when will you return? This is awesome. The king was so, had so much favor for Nehemiah that he did not even question him. He's just like, here's my checkbook, write the check. What do you need? And, uh, and he says to the king, "If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river this, this king is not a believing king, this king is not a fan of Israel per se I mean, they have taken they have the Israelites are in exile in their land so they have they have won the war years before to to rule over the people of Israel and that 's the king that God uses to bring favor to the people of Israel now we're not going to read through the entire book of, of, of Nehemiah, but, but I think you need to understand the miraculous that's happening here. Because for many of you, God has put burdens in your heart and he's created dreams that they are not, they're not your imagination. They're not something you need to convince God to do. God has put them on you. He's created the sense of need in this world that only you are equipped and, and burdened. is like your passion and your burden are coinciding with your talents and your calling. And it all comes together in this perfect moment where God says, now's the time. If your dream feels too big, then it's probably from God. If your dream is not laughable, you might need to wonder whether it's truly God-given. I find that by and large, when you look at the people in scripture, every time God called them to do something, it was laughable. We looked at David and Goliath recently. It was laughable that David would kill Goliath. It's, it was laughable that the people of Israel would defeat Jericho. It was laughable that they would escape the people of, of Egypt back when they had to cross the Red Sea. We've studied these stories, guys. We've been together since March, and we've studied these stories. And over and over again, the dream that God puts in our hearts, and here he uses a man who's not trained in the things. I mean, he's a butler. And yet God has birthed the burden in him, and he's created a dream that is never too big for God to accomplish. God-given dreams are bigger than I am and take more to accomplish than I can give. God-given dreams demand that God make a way where there seems to be no way. The whole thing, think about Nehemiah. He would have never dared ask the king for favor and yet God set it up to where the king himself asks him, what do you want, Nehemiah? Now, Nehemiah responds with bravery and with courage and he knows that, that this could go one of either way but he trusts that God might answer. And so God-given dreams are impossible to accomplish without God-given strategies. And so he still, you sense that this man sees, but maybe not yet clearly because we're told as the chapter goes on, he says that I came to the governors of the province in verse nine and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And so Nehemiah in verse 11 of chapter 2, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose at night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So he's got this dream. He hasn't talked to people about it. He's just praying to God. Do you know that what you talk to God about is far more important than what you say to other people about your God-given dreams. If God has birthed something in your heart that hasn't happened yet, he's the one you need to be talking to about it. Nehemiah strategically takes a handful of people, he doesn't even tell them what God has birthed in his heart. And he goes out and you read, he goes out by night. He goes to study the grounds, to make a plan. He doesn't have a strategy yet. He has one strategy and it is pray and ask God, to give me the next step. And so you see this man just taking one step after the next, after the next. And of course, uh, he convinces, he says in verse 17, you see the trouble we're in now. He shares his burden, his, his dream with a handful of leaders. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And then they say, and so they verse um, at the end of verse 18, so they strengthen their hands for the good work. And you see, in a very short period of time, how Nehemiah goes from a burden, a prayer to him, stepping out in faith, risking everything. He steps away from comfort, He steps away from a life of predictability, of a life of ease, to a certain degree, He was offering God the, the king wine. That was his job, and he walks away from it to what is going to be a heck of a life. And uh, I'll give you the second big point here. When God, so the first big point was when God gives you a dream, it's never too big for him to accomplish. Number two, when God gives you a dream, it does not mean it will be easy. The easiest part sometimes is that first step when you say yes to God. And then you go, this has been my problem in my life is that I think, okay, I remember when I first felt the calling to teach the Bible and I genuinely thought that saying yes to God to go into ministry. I felt in my late 20s, I started teaching a Bible study, and I felt God compelling me to give my life to teach the Bible. And I remember saying to God, yes, and and the energy that it took to get to that yes. I, I remember thinking after that, that from now on, it's like smooth sailing downhill. Do you know that that first yes, in hindsight, was probably the easiest yes? Because what you don't predict is what Nehemiah learned. And of course, so many leadership books have been written about the, the, the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. They rebuilt the wall in 50 some days. I think it was 56 days where um, um, in, in 52 days, sorry, in, in Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15, they ended up finishing the wall in 52 days, which is miraculous. But in that process, you'll go through Nehemiah chapter three, four, five, six, even after the wall is built and you'll see the struggle, though the beginning was easy. He gets the burden, the king asks him, what do you need? He writes him a blank check, he sends with him a few soldiers, and you go, man, what can stop Nehemiah now? And yet, as soon as he gets to Jerusalem, he runs into the opposition. And then you start seeing the opposition coming in. In chapter 3, you see in verse 5, he describes some of the nobles of Israel that would not stoop to serve their Lord. And then you keep reading, and you see Nehemiah going into chapter four, where the enemy Sanballah was a leader against the people of Israel and they started attacking the people of Israel. They badmouthed Nehemiah, so much so that they had to split the, the workforce into two groups. One was just guarding the wall and so their efforts were Cut in half rather than, they could have finished the wall sooner. Of course, they didn't think they would finish in 52 days. That was all miraculous. But literally half of the workforce had to just guard the wall and, and depend on God and pray. And the other half was working, working, working. And so even that obstacle slowed down the work. And yet God was deepening their faith in him through that delay that was happening. And then like that wasn't enough in Nehemiah chapter five. So you've got the outside opposition, but then you've got opposition within the camp. In, Jeremiah, in, in Nehemiah chapter five, we're, we're told a great outcry of the people arose, and what happened is that the people themselves, the poor people of the people of Israel, were struggling because they were building the wall. They weren't working. They didn't have food to eat, so they were starving, and so. And so they came to Nehemiah and said, man, we want to keep working, but we can't do it. And so that was a problem internally. And Nehemiah had to deal with that problem. And and, and so they came to a great solution where people started sharing their stuff and and giving to one another. But that could have gone either way. And then, and I want to bring this up. I know uh, here as we have a few more minutes, I want to show you the heart of Nehemiah because I think this is where we're going with the last point in a second. In chapter five of Nehemiah, just to give you a glimpse of this man's heart, it says, moreover, From the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. So Nehemiah kind of led the people for 12 years. It says, in that time, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So they were given a food allowance. He didn't eat it. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet, for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. And then he says this, and this sentence is huge. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Unshaken when my dreams feel too big. First, when when God gives you a dream, it's never too big for him to accomplish. Right now, you might have had a dream and you might think that it's not going to happen. Listen rebuke that negative voice in your soul. If God has given you a dream, you might be in a season of delay. You might be in a season of prayer where you need to be preparing, where God is setting up a king who will offer you what you need to go back and fulfill that dream. You trust God in that waiting season. But that, that's a promise for you today, that if God has given you a dream, he's gonna accomplish it. Don't you give up on it, even if it looks huge. In fact, if it looks huge and beyond your ability to accomplish, then it's probably a God-given dream. Number two, when God gives you a dream, it does not mean it will be easy. Every dream carries with it a deep burden and deep opposition, and every dream takes longer to see through than you anticipated, all right? And then with big, last big idea, when God gives you a dream, it should never become more important to you than him, all right? We can get so sidetracked with our dreams. And the prophet, or the, the, the leader, Nehemiah, the governor, um, he set such a great example of a man who understood a few things about the situation. First of all, the dream wasn't just the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. The dream was the rebuilding of the people of Jerusalem. And he saw that clearly. You see, God is always more interested in his people than in the things that we think we need to do for his people. You know, we, we get so caught up in the tasks, but God's heart is people. The wall is just a symbol of the rebuilding that needed to take place in the heart of the people. In fact, you'll see that if, if the dream was simply to build the wall of Jerusalem, then in chapter uh, six, where it says, so the wall was finished on the 52nd day, Nehemiah could have been like, okay, I'm done. Wash my hands, I'm going back to serve wine. But that's not what happens. As you read the story of Nehemiah, you enter into a revival. And if you go home, uh, I know you guys have I've assigned you one chapter read. but if you, after this lesson and into the next few days, spend time and read Nehemiah chapter eight, and then move into Nehemiah chapter nine, you're going to read of a revival that happened. And listen, I mentioned Ezra at the beginning of the lesson. It's worth bringing him up now because here's Ezra who had a dream for the rebuilding of the walls and his dream for 13 years looked like it was dead. And all of a sudden God brings Nehemiah in. And so Ezra has been praying and Ezra has been on his knees. He's a priest and he's been praying and burdened. And now Nehemiah comes and the wall is built And Nehemiah and Ezra gathered together, and it says in chapter 8, verse 1, that all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Listen, if there was anything more important than building the wall, it was what happens in chapter 8, where all the people gathered together, and it says, and he read, Ezra the priest brought the law, which is the Bible basically, before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Picture it. These people have just built a wall. They have have poured their life. They've been physically exhausted. And what do they do after exhaustion? Well, they gather together for a revival meeting. And Ezra blesses in verse 6 the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua Benny, he lists these people. It says, While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense. They preached it basically. And Nehemiah. And Ezra the priest in verse 9, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were convicted and pierced to the heart. So he says to them, go your the way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and said, portions to anyone. Anyway, and then it goes into chapter 9. They gather back together and they set their hearts right and they confess their sin and they declare God to be the true God. And they bow before him and there's a revival that happens and a rebuilding of the wall. And Nehemiah's job was not to build the wall around the city, but to build back the faith of the people in in their God who had never left them or forsaken them. And then, and so, and so here, as we're concluding, when God gives you a dream, it should never become more important to you than him. As he remains the focal point of your heart, of your satisfaction, then you're not so stuck on a task, but you're fluid. You're going with him over what he has for you. And so later on, uh, Nehemiah, uh, this is interesting, and I, I, I'm really coming to an end here, but, uh, but there's, it's just, a, it, obviously, no one's taught the book of Nehemiah in 20 minutes or less, so bear with me. But we get to uh, uh, chapter 13 here towards the end. And so a revival happens, and then Nehemiah goes back to the king. So he goes back to Susa, and he spends a few months, maybe a few years there. And then in um, chapter 13, uh, verse 6, and this is why this is important, because um, we think of dreams, when it comes to faithfulness, sometimes we think that faithfulness ought to carry us through the fulfillment of our dreams. But, But faithfulness goes past when our dreams come to pass. And so faithfulness is needed both when dreams delay as well as when dreams are accomplished. Many of you have accomplished dreams in your life. Maybe it was your dream to get married. Maybe it was your dream to have kids. And God has given you those dreams. And maybe you think, well, the job's done. What's well, not done. You know, if you're married, you're not, never done. If you're a mom or a dad, you're never done. And so so that dream continues, the dream is finished. And so you go, what could go wrong? The wall's built, there's a revival. Well, you get to chapter 13, Nehemiah takes a break, goes back to Susa and comes back and he finds out that all hell had broken loose. The people were back communing with with the evil leaders and the priests were not doing what they were supposed to do. So in verse six, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, Uh, he goes, I asked to leave the, uh, the king. and verse 7 and came to Jerusalem and I discovered the evil that Eliashab had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God here's the priest who had invited the enemy into the house of God and he says and I was very angry I think the KJV says he was very grieved and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber and I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so I confronted officials and he goes on this is the end of the chapter the book and he goes on and lists all the things that he did on account of the people to restore holiness. And, and he says, verse 30, at the last verse, as we close up this lesson, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And then you go, how, uh, what kind of affirmation did he get from the people? What kind of thanksgiving did he get from the people? What kind of response did he get from the people? Um, uh, nothing. Uh, The last sentence reflects the heart of Nehemiah, who understood that what we're doing when you're living out your dream is not for the eyes of man, but for the eyes of the Lord. And so it ends with this sentence that i would read you before that pops up two or three times in this book. Nehemiah says to God, remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah never lost sight of who it is that he was serving and who it is that he ought to be faithful to. Faithfulness is less about sticking to your dream and more about sticking to your God. Faithfulness is tested when your dreams delay and sometimes look like denials that happened to Ezra, and then faithfulness is needed both when your dreams delay and when your dreams are accomplished. What is it that you're dreaming about today? What dreams has God put in your life, and your heart? Maybe you're living right now. Maybe you're a cupbearer when you want to be a wall builder, and maybe you think God has forgotten you, or He's misplaced you, or maybe you sometimes wonder, did I mishear God? No, you didn't. Listen to me. This time that you're living is a time of preparation. Use it to pray. Use it to get to know your God. Use it to taste and see that God is good. Use it to learn to pray. Use it to develop, to allow God to revive you. Because when you meet God in the secret place of your heart, when you know him at that level, no matter what happens around you, you, like Nehemiah, can continue because you know that there is a God who sees, a God who remembers, and a God who is pleased in his faithful children.